Good evening. Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Hosea, chapter 11. You know, the more we read our Bibles, the more we realize what an incredible God we have and what an incredible Father we have in that God. You know, it, this book, it tells us of the way God loves us, of the tender care he has for us. I was talking to Drew and Holly the other day, and uh, Ruth is, is learning to walk, and they were telling me about how you know, they, that uh, Holly's you know, leaning over and, and holding her hands while she's, she's teaching her to walk, and I just, the, the picture of a parent helping their child learn to walk, it's one of the most beautiful and tender pictures that we can have, and it's one that is employed here in the book of Hosea to show the way that God loves and cares for his people. So we'll be reading Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love, and became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Admah? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. Here we see a story of God and the way that he loves his child, Israel. But this incredible picture of an ever-loving, ever-merciful father is put in sharp contrast to Israel, a rebellious child who is bent on turning away from God. And so tonight, as we, as we look at this story of God and his love for Israel, and we see the way that they reacted, we take away a question. How will we react? And so tonight, we're going to be talking about the Lord teaching Israel to walk, and we're going to see God, we're going to see Israel, and we're going to see our reaction and the way that we should respond to this story. So first, let's look at God. God, the loving Father. We see this all over this story. In the first verse, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son, speaks to the history, the inception of the nation of Israel when God took them out of slavery out of bondage in Egypt and brought them out into the wilderness to be his people. 
He led them out. He made them who they were. And then in verse 3, it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. Here we see that not only does God play a part in the beginning of the nation, but he helps it as it grows to maturity. Here, Ephraim, who is um, another name for Israel, uh, is described as learning to walk as God guides them and holds them up by their arms. And we can see in this story the way that God takes care of his child. And you think about this picture of, of a small child learning to walk. They aren't really able to do much on their own. They can barely handle the, the tottering and, and the walking. And then take on top of that, you know, if any danger were to come upon them, you know, they would have no defense. And so that's why they need a parent, a, a, a figure to watch over them, to take care of them. And that's what God does for them in the wilderness, that he, he leads them through. And as they come up against all of these enemy nations, as they go about on the task of overcoming the land that God is giving them, that he's there all along the way, doing the heavy lifting, pushing the obstacles away, and taking care of them. And he, we see that he takes them up by their arms, and he says, but they did not know that I healed them. Here we see you know, this same sort of picture of maybe a child that you pick up and you put them on your shoulders and suddenly they're so tall. But they don't realize, or at least Israel didn't realize, that the reason they were so tall, the reason they were so powerful, the reason that they were having all of these successes was because it was God who was behind them, God who was lifting them up, God who was taking care of them. God, who in verse 4 is leading them with cords of kindness and bands of love. God, who was the one who eased the yoke on their jaws and bent down to fed them. We see God gave them a task to do. Clear away the land. Clear away Canaan of all of the enemy nations. But God was there guiding them all along the way. And the task they had, it would have been a heavy burden had God not been there to help them all along the way, to ease up the weight of this task and to bless them by feeding them as they went along. God was there the whole time. And yet we see that they don't recognize it. They don't turn to God. They are bent on turning away from him. And this brings about rightful anger that God says, here's what you deserve. I'm going to send you into Assyria. I am going to strike you with the sword. You are going to be punished. I'm going to make an end to you. But then God stops in verses 8 and 9, and he says, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? Adma and Zeboim are two cities that perished with Sodom and Gomorrah. These, the idea here is that what Israel deserves is to be destroyed utterly with their memory wiped from history. But God says, I can't do that to you. Why is that? Because Israel is God's people. Israel is God's child. and He cares about them more than anything. And so 
God has, on one hand, a right to be angry, a right to be frustrated, and a proper judgment, a punishment that should come upon them. And it will, as we see in time, that Assyria will take uh, Israel into captivity. But they don't do that, not yet, because God is not going to punish them yet. Because this statement here is kind of like the divine, this hurts me more than it hurts you. God, as he looks with tender compassion on his child, he says, I I can't give you what you deserve. I can't punish you the way I ought to. I'm going to react with warm and tender mercy. And we see this is the way that God treats his people. He gives them chance after chance after chance. He leads them. He loves them. He nourishes them. This is the God of Hosea, and it's our God as well. And so when we pray our Father in heaven, we should take this picture in mind and be grateful and thankful that God has done everything he has done for us, that he has given us so many second chances and choose not to take them for granted. You know, God is not the kind of father that's going to abandon us. He's not the kind of father that never listens to his child or reacts in uh, wrath. He's the kind of God that loves He's the kind of God who is merciful and always there nourishing and caring for his child. And so when you take this incredible picture of the perfect father, of the perfect God, you contrast that with who we are, Israel, the rebellious son. And you see just how frustrating Israel and we can be at times. We see in verse 2, after God leads them out from Egypt, it says, The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. You know, we look at a passage like this and we say, you know, I'm not bowing down to any altars, but God gives us gifts. And so frequently we see in the prophets that when God blesses his people, like he blesses Israel here when he leads them into a land and he feeds them while they're working, that they take those blessings and sacrifice them to the Baals. That when God gives us gifts, when God gives us abilities or um, money or things, do we use them for him or do we use them for ourselves? Say God, for example, has given you the ability to talk well. Maybe you're a, a smooth talker. You know, are you going to use that, you know, in your corporate life to get a promotion? Are you going to use it to convince other people to do what you want? Or are you going to use that to talk with kindness to people, to build people up, to share the gospel? See, God has given you a gift, but the question is, are you going to use it for yourself? Are you going to sacrifice it on the altar of time, uh, of self, of convenience, of the corporate life and, and money? Or are you going to use God's gifts and turn them back to God to use his gifts properly. We do the same thing with money. Are we going to use our money for ourselves or are we going to use it for God? These are the kinds of things that we have to ask ourselves. And so when we look at a picture of an Israel that keeps sacrificing to the idols, this is a frustrating picture, but it is one that is a little bit closer to home than sometimes we care to admit. And then we see in verse 3, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but it says that they did not know that I healed them. 
And on one hand, you can look at this picture and be like, well, how could you not know? But on the other hand, I mean, how many times have we seen children do crazy things and have no idea how close they were to danger? There's a, a commercial about a dad you know, taking care of his kid. I think it's a car commercial of some sort. But anyway, lots and lots of just montages of kids running into very dangerous situations and dads and mothers grabbing them out of the way of harm. And these kids, they have no idea how dangerous of a situation they are. But their parent is looking out for them. And they are oblivious. And it's easy to do that when we have a God who is as active as our God is, a God who is working behind the scenes to make our lives incredibly wonderful, a God who is taking care of us in so many ways, more than we can even comprehend, it's not difficult for us to miss the times that he is healing us. And so we need to take time to see God at work in our lives. And if we do that, then we can avoid being like these children of Israel here who totally missed God. And then another way we see them rebelling, we see in verse 7, uh, my people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. It says, you know, they call out to him even though they're rebelling. And don't we do that sometimes? You know, I have times in my life, like long periods of time, months sometimes, where like I don't want to confess anything to God, like I haven't messed up. You know, like if I lied to somebody, I think I would probably feel obligated to, to confess that. But like little things, you know, pride or selfishness. And I just go on and on just acting like nothing is wrong, praying to God like everything's normal, but it's not normal. And we need to recognize that God does not associate with sin. And if we are coming to God acting like everything's all right when everything is not all right, that is not an appropriate way to treat God. What's even less appropriate is coming to God when we know we are in sin. We're not even denying it. We're just blatantly sinning. You know, Saul was chasing around David. You know, he knew he was the king. He knew he was going to be the anointed one. But all he cared about was killing him. And then he's surprised that God doesn't answer his prayers. This should not have surprised him. You know, we've got to recognize that if we are going to act blatantly against God, that we cannot expect him to answer our prayers the way that we would hope to. Because we are not having the relationship that we ought to. You know, we, we've got to come to him with humility and, and repentance. And so, you know, are you coming to God with sin in your life that you're not willing to get rid of? Maybe you've got anger or frustration and you're never going to let it go. You're just going to hold on to it. That's not acceptable. You cannot come to God with sin in your life and act like nothing is wrong when it is wrong. Because that is a front, an affront to who God is. Let us not be rebellious like Israel was. And that's really the moral of this story. I mean, Hosea doesn't just tell a story to entertain. He, he tells it to make a point. And the point is that this is not the way you can treat God. You've got to act with repentance. That if this is the way you've been treating God, if you've been rebellious, you can't anymore. That's not going to fly or else punishment is coming. God is merciful. God is humble and he's always going to accept our pleas for forgiveness. 
But that can't go on forever. We cannot take advantage of God's mercy because that would be such an inappropriate way to treat a God who is so kind. And so what's the takeaway? Like I said, we've got to act in repentance, but I think that that looks like two different things. One of them is that we're going to recognize the way that God loves us, and we're going to work to reciprocate, to return that love to him. I mean, this story is a picture of a relationship, a father who loves his child, who does so much for them, who is always looking out and caring for them and looking to have their best interest, and a child who is not interested in a relationship, a child who spits at the idea of you know, spending time and building a relationship with God. When we look at this picture, there's a part of it that reflects our lives. You know, we have been there, especially before the time we were Christians, and even sometimes now. We would have to admit, if we're being honest, that the way that God loves us is so much infinitely more than the way that we are loving God back. And there are times when we are not putting forth the effort to reciprocate the love that God has for us. And that is not an appropriate way to have a relationship with anybody. And it is certainly not an appropriate way to have a relationship with God. And then we need to stop rebelling. And this takes place in an intentional way and in an unintentional way, but both of them are hurtful to God. You know, we can rebel by forgetting God. And this, you know, takes place because we're we're going through our lives and we're just, we're not thinking of him. We're not viewing him. We're not thanking him for the way that he is active in our lives. There's a a poem, maybe one of my favorites, uh, that talks about a father who wakes up early on a Sunday morning and he, he He cracks the wood and he shines the shoes and he makes the house ready and and he warms it up all before the sun gets out of bed. And uh, this is a poem, you know, narrated from the perspective of the sun. He says, what did I know? What did I know of love's austere and lonely offices? That the way that a father loves, the way that God loves is that before we are awake, before we are even interested in in moving and in taking part in the relationship, God is there taking care of us, making sure that we have what we need. And he acts in lonely and austere ways, these unadorned ways. He's not interested in in bringing a a picture to himself. He doesn't want to be seen. He wants to be loved. He wants a relationship. We need to be interested in that relationship with God. And we need to stop intentionally rebelling as well. You know, if you have sin in your life, you can't let that go on. This is not the kind of relationship that that's going to work in. We look at God. We look at the way he's loved us. 
And we look at our own lives and we realize that there is judgment coming for us if we do not reciprocate the love that he has given to us. God is interested in us. He's interested in being our father. Let us react appropriately. And so, as we conclude, we think about God and we think about the fact that this God, a God who loves us no matter what, through all of these frustrating things that we do, he's still there. He's still loving us. This is the God we serve. And we look back and we remember who we've been, all the times that we have turned our back on God, all the times we've forgotten him, all the times we've acted like the relationship was not important or that God was a burden to us in some way. And we look on that with shame because we realize that can't be the way we treat God. And so with resolution, we decide to love him back, to reciprocate the love that God has for us, that God has always had for us. This is our God. What are we going to do about it? Uh, I'll pray and the lesson will be yours. Let's pray. Our loving and merciful Father, teach us to walk in your ways. Thank you for holding us up when we fall. Thank you for treating us with mercy. Help us to be better sons. We believe, help our unbelief. We love, help our unlove. In Jesus' name, amen.